All right, well, happy Sunday, everybody. Uh, I hope you're well. Um, by the looks of the weather outside my house, I'm getting ready for a little thunderstorm, so I hope we stay connected. Um, but in the meantime, let's open with a word of prayer, and we'll get started. All right, dearly Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your love, mercy, your love, your mercy, and your grace. Lord, I thank you for Baltimore Lopez. I thank you for its residents and staff. I pray a blessing over each of them, Lord, that their ears will be opened, their hearts will be softened, and this moment and time together will be a blessing for all of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, so today we are looking at uh, Galatians uh, chapter 1, verse 6 through 10. Uh, that's Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. And it goes as following, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel, angel of heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. For am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I teaching, trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And that's the word of the Lord. And, you know, this is a, a fascinating uh, statement here that, that, that Paul is really challenging the people of Galatia on how they're exercising and how they're following and how they're living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you know, as we read last week and as we studied and learned, you know, that that Jesus Right, so through Christ the Father who raised him from the dead, so that's part one of the gospel. So Christ was raised from the dead, so that whoever that who gave him for our sins to be delivered from this present age according to the will of God our God and Father. So the gospel salvation is a work of plan of God. It, it requires nothing extra other than our obedience to it. And, and I know here at Valdemero we, we represent a lot of different denominations and backgrounds and, and sometimes messages like these um, could step on someone's toes or might uh, bring an offense or might um, hurt feelings and, and it, I think you know me well enough and have known me long enough uh, that you know it's never my intent to um, blatantly hurt someone for my word. So I, I'm always very careful for what I say because I know uh, my message goes out to many, uh, many who've come from different walks of life, backgrounds, denominations, and such. Um, but I, I have to challenge each of us and all of us on in this era that we think rightly, we think biblically, about what the message of salvation is, what the gospel truly is, because for some it could be a matter of life and death. You know, we, 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 we have to look at the gospel as that it is truly a work of God. 
It is that the gospel of grace is what saves us through Christ. You know, I've I've heard it uh, challenged many times that people will go, well, you know, how how simple can you make the gospel? You know, how few of words could you use uh, to just describe or to define the gospel of Jesus Christ and it and it could be simply put as this Jesus died to save sinners and God raised him from the dead to conquer death Jesus died to save sinners and God resurrected him from the grave to give us victory over death and, and which means there's very little on our behalf that actually contributes to the gospel message. In fact, the only reason why there is a gospel message is because we as humans have sinned against God. That takes us all the way back to the beginning in Genesis. You know, when God had created and defined the world, he intended it to be pure and holy and good. God placed us in this beautiful place called the Garden of Eden. Uh, God had placed man there with a woman to live in harmony, uh, not just with each other, but all of creation, that there was this sense of peace between the animals and the, the creatures of, of the garden, and even God himself would come and walk and, and talk with Adam and Eve in the garden on some regular basis. You know, but once sin entered uh, humanity, there was a break in all of humanity. There was, you know, we, we read in Genesis 3 that you know, that their eyes were opened and they saw their nakedness and Adam and Eve clothed themselves and they hid their nakedness from one another. And that's what sin does for you and for me. It it, it makes it hard for us to connect. It breaks down uh, authenticity. It breaks down vulnerability. It allows us to be shamed. That's, that's why it's so hard for many of us to confess what we've done wrong. You know, if we when we become angry and we have to ask for an apology. That's why it's that pride, it's the sin that, that keeps us from being willing to admit that I was wrong with what I said or how I said it or what I did or how I treated someone or how I didn't treat someone. You know, we have a lot of talk these days in regards to um, in racism and prejudice. Uh, we, we, we A lot of people are, are casting stones with... with trying to get their, their voices heard, but might be causing more damage than good. But all this disharmony or, or lack of unity in humanity is rooted in sin. It's rooted in pride. And, and, and not only that, but we were disconnected from God. And, and it says that God came and walked in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid themselves. Adam and Eve hid themselves from God because they were ashamed God said, who told you you were naked? And, and Adam, being the, the man that he was, said, my wife did it. And every man has been living with that regret ever since. And then God said to Eve, you know, who who told you? And he goes, she went the serpent. And, and since the beginning of time, we've been playing the blame game. We've always wanted to make someone else responsible for our actions and our intentions. I wonder, I've always been quite curious, if, if Adam and Eve had just accepted responsibility in the garden, maybe things could have been different. But because not only did they disobey God, but they lied in regards to what they had done, 
I think that plays a lot into why everything unfolded as it did. And so we here now sit thousands of years later, individuals who, who continually, continually live in a, in a sin nature that separates us from one another. Uh, most people tend to chuckle at this, but to be honest, this is why we wear clothes today. You know, our, 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 we, we hide our physical bodies. You know, yes, there's, there's fashion and there's trends, but there are certain parts of the body that have always uh, been covered up because of modesty. And honestly, it's driven with a sense of shame that, that people want to guard certain portions of their body from others because they don't want people to shame them or they don't want to feel dirty or guilty. And so here we, again, like I said, we, we live thousands of years later with the still same set uh, of, of shame and guilt uh, as it is. And so, you know, we, we then have to look to God and what God has done for us, right? Because of the broken relationship in humanity, because of the broken relationship with Him, God made a way, right? We can see that way that was made through Moses and the law and the tabernacle and the temple that David or Solomon built, and then to to the ultimate plan of Christ being the the source of life everlasting, that Christ came and He lived a sinless life. He He took on sin for us on the cross. He then died and resurrected to defeat death, and then He ascended and is coming again. And, and very often people somehow find that grace is, is a little hard to understand. We, we want to say, well, I have to do something. I have to work towards it. I have to be doing something. And this is what Paul is talking about here. It is, is one is not that, that these people themselves were losing their salvation, because I, I truly don't believe that you can, but these people were either turning away from God because they fully had embraced it or they were proclaiming a different gospel to others as they were coming to the faith per se and this is what they have and he puts this very firm warning out in 7, 8, and 9 that that this is a big deal right? that, that this is something even within 20 or 30 years of Christ's death and resurrection that the gospel has already begun to take on this uh, perversion and change you know very very often that the the Judaizers would come in and they would say well the only way to be a true follower of Christ would be is if you as Gentiles have to become circumcised and once you're circumcised not that the act of circumcision was good or bad but that the act of circumcision says I'm going to take on all of the law requirements according to uh, Jewish tradition, according to the law of the Torah. And so, you know, the, these people would come in and say, well, you now have to follow all these rules in order then to be saved by the grace of God, right? So you had to change the way you ate and you had to be circumcised and you had to not work on the Sabbath and you had to worship on the Sabbath and you had to 
uh, changed the way you dressed. And, you know, it was just rule after rule after rule, which we already know in, in, in Romans was something that Paul says that can't be done. It, it says that, I believe it's in Romans 8, it says, For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. Right, so so the law of God was perfect, was good, was intended to to be life giving, and and God intended it to set Israel apart from the world. But because of time and because of man's manipulation, it was weakened. It was weakened. Every generation, the law became weaker and weaker. Therefore, his solution to resolving the law was by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And this is what um, Paul is trying to explain not just to the Romans because this isn't just one, but he he describes this quite often in many of the letters to to people about this perversion of grace that people think that they can they they accuse Paul of of saying, well, you just say that you can sin and keep on sinning that way you get more grace, and and Paul says in Romans six is should we continue to sin that grace may may abound by no means that's. It was the most ridiculous thing. We we don't we don't we don't speed so we get more speeding tickets so that the officer can let us off more. That's that would be ridiculous. It, it's like um, I'm sure many of us remember the Andy Griffith show, and that the the town drunk named Otis, and, and it was an interesting perspective of grace because Andy never charged Otis with anything, but Otis knew that on Friday nights he would drink too much. And the only safe place for Otis to go was he went to the jail to sleep it off. And, and, and that would be like what they were accusing Paul of is just just keep drinking and we're going to we're going to let you sober up in the jail so that way you can go home and your wife isn't going to be mad at you. But we're never going to charge you with anything. We're never going to hold it against you. We just know that you're safest here in this jail cell while you're paying off your debt. And that was that was what a lot of people view as as a means of grace. It's like that means I can I can keep on sinning and there is no consequence. You know that I I just I just can't just fathom that 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 all of a sudden we think that we could just without consequence do something that is truly sinful and think that in the end God's going to forgive us. And that that's another perversion of the gospel that saying that I can keep on sinning. I can keep on sinning the same way I have been sinning with no consequence that God is going to say God is just going to forgive me I can I can cheat on my wife I can cheat on my taxes I can I can drive recklessly I can drink and drive I can text and drive I can I can steal from banks and God's always going to forgive me for whatever I do well that that there's no evidence of God's grace actually being with you there's no evidence that God has actually done something in your heart. And so this is where we have to look at the truth of the gospel. This is where we have to look at the, the truth versus the counterfeit. And I'm sure I've used this analogy before, but but we all we know that the Secret Service, uh, their primary job is to protect the president. And 
his family and high-ranking government officials, right? So we have the Secret Service, highly trained, specialized law enforcement officers who protect the president, protect the vice president and their families and high-ranking dignitaries. But the Social uh, Secret Service also works with the Depre- Treasury Department. They are the ones who do things when it comes to counterfeit currency because that's actually part of protecting the United States is knowing that we have good currency. It, it would be very bad if there was a flood of counterfeit 20s and $100 bills on the market. But what the the agents learn, they don't learn all the ways you can counterfeit a $100 bill. They learn the hundred, the true $100 bill. And, and, I, and I think that's ultimately my challenge for us today is that we learn the truth, that we stay focused on the truth so that when something contrary comes, we can know right from wrong. We can know Hey, that's a great message, but I'm I'm hearing what you're saying, but that doesn't sound like the gospel. That doesn't sound like uh, what what the Bible has told me, right? So so we can kind of rewind a little bit, and, and we go back to Romans chapter one, verse seven, sixteen. It says, "For I'm not ashamed to ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first, and also the Greek." So first and foremost, it is of the power of God for everyone who believes. That means there is no partiality with the gospel. It's not a white man's religion. It's not a black man's religion. It's not an Asian religion. It's not Middle Eastern or African or anywhere in between. It's not just for men. It's not just for women. It's not for adults. It's not for kids. It's not for slaves. It's not for free. It is for everyone, everywhere and that is the power to save our lives, right? And then verse 17, for it is the righteousness of God that is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live for faith. And so it is in that, that through the gospel that we are forgiven and made righteous. And I think for the Roman readers, this was probably a very new concept to them that they didn't have they weren't just good citizens that they weren't just moral people but that actually there was something inputted into their lives that made them righteous of god that the righteousness of god was revealed and inputted into them that they would live and be different it's not just that we would be different so that we we would no longer sin but that the intentionality the desire within our heart would subside that we would give up those things like pride and lust and greed and envy and strife and and anger and things that just push humanity away but those things that actually pull us together like the fruit of the spirit right love and joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness faithfulness and self-control that that we that we come to having a loving desire of the word of god that we through the Holy Spirit, come to further love the Father and the Son. That through the Word and the love of the Father, that we can actually love our neighbor. That we can love those people who are different from us. That we can look across the aisle, across the table, maybe just across the curtain to the person next to us and be willing to love that person no matter how different from us they actually are. And this is the evidence and the power of the Gospel. 
It's not about how much money you tithe or how many prayers you say or whatever good works you do, but it's simply knowing that your life has been transformed from the inside out by the grace and the power of God. And I, and I think that's just what Paul's continuing to tell. And, and as we dive more in Galatians, you're gonna, we're going to hear it more. There's a lot more that's going to come to a very specific encounter that Paul has with Peter in regards to his behavior. And now even Peter himself was acting contrary to the gospel. But I, I want to I look at this. Actually, there's two things I want to look at first. Uh, before we close. So so number one, we then have to think, well, what happens to the people who uh, have received the gospel and then depart? And I think John answers this question well. So in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, so 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, um, or let's rewind it, verse 18, it says, children, it is the last hour. So he's just saying we are in the end days, and, and we are continuing 2,000 years later. I promise you, we're still in this last hour. It says, as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so that is anyone who is against Christ is coming. So many Antichrists have come. So for for some of us, you know, if you were raised in, you know, a Pentecostal church or maybe Baptist church, you know, I was raised on the Left Behind series. And, and we always think that there, there's going to be this one person who comes and he, he turns the hearts of the world towards him and he's worshipped as the Antichrist. He even declares himself as such. But this is actually talking about not just the one person, but many Anyone who would be against Jesus, anyone who would be anti-Christ, anyone who would be anti-gospel or anti-biblical or anti uh, the, the right way to God. Therefore, uh, we know that is the last hour. And it says, they went out from us. Now, who's they? they? This they is people who were a part of the congregation of Christ, that were in the church, that were a part of the body of believers, but they were with us. But then they left, and the, but they were not of us, right? And, and so, and this is before, had they been of us, they would have remained or continued with us. And, and, and so John is trying to make this differentiation that there are some people who come to church, who say they're a Christian, who, who walk the walk and talk the talk, as, it would, as you would say, and then almost as fast as they came in, they left. You go, wow, Jim was such a, a great guy, and I, I believed he'd be a stand-up Christian, but man, wh- where'd he go? What what happened to him? You know, and maybe some days later, you, you run him in the store or in the hallway, and you go, hey, Jim, I, I you know, you, you were so on fire for the Lord. What happened? And it's like, oh, well, you know, I, it wasn't real. It was a phase. It was this thing I was going through. It was just a resolve because my marriage was in a hard place, but life's good now. You know, I'm I'm doing better at work. Things are good at home. And, and just like that, the person who was clinging fast to God because he needed help through a season was so willing to let it go once it had satisfied his need. But for you and for me, as we know that we actually have to hold on to Jesus all the time. That 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 our faith isn't just for the bad seasons, but it's for the good seasons. It's for the mediocre seasons. It's for the mundane and humdrum. It's it's for the day in and the day out. That that we are 
of us, that, that we ourselves remain in community and believers. And that's, again, he says that they, they went out from us, but they were not of us. So they never really belonged. And But had they been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out. And that it might be plain that they were not of us. And that's, I think there's a link here between that those people who come to so believe or so come to to proclaim something different, but it's almost as fast as they come, they leave. And, and we just have to be mindful of that. We have to be watchful of that. We have to be careful of that, that we, just like the Secret Service, that we know the truth, that we know the cr- truth, truth of the gospel. We know what it means and how to define it because of this next statement. For I am not seeking the approval of man, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? It's a question. Well, I think we should rightly answer that question. I'm seeking the approval of God because that's where he says, or am I trying to please man? For if I was trying to please man, I would not be a servant of God. And and, and the language here that Paul uses here is servant, is a bond servant. This this word is, is often used in, 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 in regards to slavery, that he would have been in the possession of someone at the service of for life, much like probably an indentured servant or something of that nature. And but that that Paul's saying that it is my life is belongs to Christ, and I must do all that He says, even if it costs me my life. You know, we see what He writes in Philippians: "This to live is Christ, and to die is gain." And I think that's my encouragement for all of us. Uh, just as we continue to forge through this year of 2020, you know, it's really hard not being with you. I, I do miss you. I, I it's it, it's difficult um, to just preach to a screen and to hope that I'm connecting. That that I, I pray that you're listening. That your hearts are being touched through these messages. Um, and I do long to see you all again. I do I do hope that we can gather and and hug and and laugh and celebrate life again as we were once before doing and and that's still my hope even as far away as it might seem but it it truly is to know that we are in uh fellowship with each other and so I, and i pray that as you go through this upcoming week that you keep me in your prayers as i keep you in in mind that we can one day see each other again and that we will hold fast to the truth, that we will live a life that is pleasing unto God, not unto man, that we know the truth of the gospel, and that we can wholeheartedly just rest in that. It's a lot when we have to think that we have to work towards something that we can't really earn. And, and sometimes the other side of grace is hard too, that we think that we've out God's love. And I'm pretty sure none of us ever have done that. And I don't truly think it's possible. So that's why we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we will be saved. And that is our hope. And that is our encouragement. And and that way we do not desert quickly. But we hold fast until Christ comes again or he calls us home. And so with that, let's close in a word of prayer. Um... Come on, phone.